welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio, and today we are here to discuss episode two of season two, titled Out, Out, Brief Candle. Uh, today I'm here with Colin Llewellyn of episode 11 fame and host of another film podcast. How are you doing, Colin? I'm a, I'm a bit under the weather, but other than that, I'm, I'm happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you, you had reached out when we had first started talking about uh, doing this podcast. Yeah, and I gave you sort of like, hey, which podcast do you, which episode do you want? You immediately gravitated towards this episode. Yes. And the only reason why, because <laughs> I originally had uh, a casket salesman on because I wanted to go on the science behind uh, that casket wall that they install. And, you know, we'll get into it. Uh, but for whatever reason, that didn't work out. And so now we're here. And this is, is this your favorite episode of the series? I think it, I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but it has two of my favorite scenes from the entirety of the show. Yeah. I mean, and you seemed rather bummed when I was like, hey, listen, I'm sorry it's taken. Like, I felt it. And we were just uh, through a message, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, his his loss is my gain. So I'm happy to <laughs> come on here and talk about it because uh, it's one of the this episode is, is the key to the show for me. So I, right. it's one of the things I, I love most. All right. Perfect. And then, Kyle, let me ask you, do you know what speed is slang for? <laughs> let's not get into this again <laughs> oh, the only thing i know is i like a little uh embalming fluid on my doobies there we go uh so before we get into the episode because now that you're when we last recorded your podcast was not up yet but now you are four five episodes into another film podcast yeah we got four and uh by, i'm sure by the time this comes out our fifth will be up so awesome it's been exciting on my end, at least, uh, when we had done episode 11, you had mentioned that you were going to do be doing the 2001 Interstellar Arrival, and I listened to it. Uh, it was a fun episode. Uh, I'm giving that episode and your podcast a high recommend based solely on the fact that you helped me understand. Uh, I, I always loved the visual, uh, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the visual cues of, of Interstellar, but and it seemed like it just you guys just happened to fall into it, but actually explaining what happened in Interstellar, because <laughs> you yeah, you I, explained I, it, and I was I was with your co-host, and forgive me, I forget his name, but I was like, oh my god, the entire movie makes sense now, and I've watched it a few times, uh, and I just I just love taking it all in, not a hundred percent understanding, sort of like two thousand one, like I don't know what's going on all the time, but I love uh, watching it, and when you explained Interstellar. I was like, "Oh, this all makes sense now." It, it you know, I, I had watched it the day before, the day we recorded that, and uh, uh -huh. that's that was for the third time. So it finally unlocked for me too. You know, it's, it takes a few viewings, and uh, but we'll be talking about two thousand one until the end of time, uh, right? Right? Because that 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 doesn't really have an answer. It just kind of exists there. So, which is why it's so fun. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, uh, like I said, last time he was on, he was about to kick off the podcast, and now you're five episodes in. And so, yeah, definitely check him out. Uh, he's on Twitter at Another Film Pod, and you're on iTunes at Another Film Podcast. Correct. 
All right. Yeah. Uh, we could get into today's episode. Something I had asked you, kind of mentioned to you on Twitter. And, you know, let me say this. Uh, part of the fun in Six Feet Under is sort of playing the name game with the episode titles. And we'll get into it later specifically. But here there was like some uh, epi- uh, visual audio cues, rather, with the knock, the knocking from, you know, the season finale. But this episode titled Out, Out, Brief Candle, because you could probably do a way better job than I can. I had never known this until I had asked you, and you know I was a longtime fan of Six Feet Under. But you know, if you want to inform our audience, uh, you know what this is from, and how do you relate it to the episode? Oh well, it's uh, it's from Macbeth, and mm-hmm. I was an English major in college, so it was. Uh, I, I took a Shakespeare, I took multiple Shakespeare classes, um, and Alan Ball is a man who loves his literature, you know, so. Uh, but in, in relation to the episode, you know, it's it's clearly about we'll get into the uh, the death capsule, as you like to call it, and yeah. uh, the fragility of life. And and the, the word brief here, I think, is is the key to it. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of uh, self-reflection on on life and death in this show, but also that it, it waits for no one and it doesn't care how old you are. And we discuss that in our last episode together actually that was the, yeah, uh, yeah the sids episode yeah and it was I, I after you had told me that i went to go sort of research it and i to me kind of what i get to understand and like i said i didn't understand that i didn't get to time to research it all 100 percent, but it was just kind of like that that passage of it uh was just kind of after you realize that like life is sort of meaningless I guess once you're you're in, <laughs> I, I, this is a not, pun not intended, but like once you're in the game, just the way it, that whole passage, and I, I should have had it here to read it, but it just kind of it, at that point in Macbeth, it's just like life is meaningless. After that, after he realizes that's when everything happens. Am I making sense at all? And not really. Yeah, well, his I believe uh, Macbeth is the prince, and his mom, the queen, had just died, and right. so this was his this was his um, soliloquy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of making sense of that, and and uh, he he says the way to dusty death out out brief candle. Right, right, right. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. So there's a lot of anxiety just like bleeding through those words, and uh, mm-hmm. that's that's Nathaniel Fisher Jr. You know, to a T. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they do, they do a commentaries on each episode. I would love to hear how they came up with this in the writer's room to name that this episode. I mean, most of the episodes so far has been, you know, like I just said, like the name game of the episode and whatever. But this was this this was a, a lot of research and work to get for this episode title, right? Like this didn't come out of nowhere. And it obviously relates to the episode. I just would love to hear Alan Ball and how they got, you know, to that point. I would I would sit down with Alan Ball f- for a couple years and write <laughs> the best coffee table book on Six Feet Under if I could. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we could, you know, get into the episode. Our episode aired on March 10, 2002. was written by Lawrence Andres and Colin. It was directed by... Kathy Bates. There you go. This is her second time. When did she come in as a character? I had mentioned that... Le- is it season three? I think during this season. I think it's later oh. during this season. Because uh, okay. this is when okay. we we meet um, her sister, correct? Ruth's yeah, sister, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's see the next episode of the episode after. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, she, she, and I think she directed a couple episodes of this show. I think she did five total. So this is episode number two. Okay. Maybe she does one each season. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, but yes, Kathy Bates is back uh, directing, and our Death Capsule. Uh, this isn't Cal. Well, did you by any chance catch the name of of the the, the school that they're? Did they, they say Cal, Cal State? State. Cal State, which is obviously, right? Uh, Cal is having tryouts. Cal State, rather, is having tryouts before they cut down their roster. And we have Ricky and Josh, friends who are sort of pushing each other during sprints, during tryouts. The death capsule, uh, obviously, you know, what happens, it's... I don't know if you had picked up on this, just me being somewhat of a sports fan. Uh, it's relatable to uh, Corey Stringer of the Minnesota Vikings. He had died a year earlier in mm-hmm. this similar situation. Uh, but what Six Feet Under does great you know, and it's the intentional mislead because we have Ricky who passes out, but it's actually Josh the one who dies. Uh, something I picked up on that was freaky to me at first, but it was once I started researching the the, the effects of a heat stroke, is Josh isn't sweating at all, and that's like a huge sign of a heat stroke. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, it's just because, like, everything is six feet under so well done. So, you know, but sometimes that's such an obvious miscue to, to miss that just that, you know, they didn't they didn't make him all sweaty as he passed out. Then I was like, huh, I wonder if that was intentional. Because something you had said, and it stuck with me ever since you said it on episode 11, that everything's intentional on this show. Absolutely. So then I was just like, huh, I wonder if that's just them messing up or it's part of it. And it's like, yeah, heat stroke is you're so, depri- you're so dehydrated that you can't even sweat. You know, and that's just what causes uh, everything. You, it, so you had said that part of the, this title was in this death capsule or whatnot. What did you, how did you receive this death capsule? Well, I, something I noticed, because uh, I watched episode one and two um, to prepare. And this is when I think Alan Ball and the writers start to have a little bit of fun with the death capsule. I mean... There's there's a little bit of playfulness too in season one with the uh, the woman who who gets her head crushed when in the limousine. Right. But this right. is this is when they start like kind of giving you the misdirect and like the previous episode opened up in a movie and right. you're not sure what's happening yet and then this one was kind of the misdirect and um, I think that they challenge themselves trying to like make these things more interesting. Right. And. Uh, and, and and I like that, and I like that attention to detail about the sweat. That's something I I wouldn't have picked up on. Um, mm-hmm. But the the death in this one might be one of the most important in the show as it relates to the rest of the episode. Yeah, I would agree because it's it's this is more, and I don't want to give away too much because there's so much to get into later. But this one, I think this entire episode parallels episode twelve of season one, which was a private life for uh, David. Yes. In that, you know, because he comes out and that's, it's so geared towards David in that episode. And obviously here, this is so geared towards Nate. But we'll get into it, right? Yeah, absolutely. David and Nate are sort of talking shop before the day starts. And David tells Nate about their new call, Josh, the football player. Uh, you know, this obviously instantly hits Nate of uh, just how sudden this guy died. When they are, when Nate goes to sit down with his parents... I just wanted to start out here on just on the funeral director side of things because there is a few things I just wanted to get out. Uh, they pick out a Titan casket and we find out later it's out of production. Uh, my first watching, I was like, David, be, um, you know, 
David being as big of a anal business freak that he is, he would have taken the, the, the selection out of the selection book, right? But then a few scenes later, we see David scolding Nate for selling it, forgetting that he had told him that the Titan was out of production. And obviously, Nate says here, and obviously he's sort of right, that he should have taken the uh, casket page out of the selection book. Uh, when he sits down with his parents, or obviously when he sits down with uh, Nate in the beginning, that's when it first hits him, right? When he sees the newspaper and just sort of the same way David had seen uh, Marcus. Was Marcus his name from episode 12? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and that's when, you know, they start to parallel each other here. Uh, anything when they, he was sitting down with the parents? Because there's that quick moment where he's like, yeah, my dad never told me to play football. It was uh, too... Uh, and he just kind of... <laughs> I love that. I love that. That This whole episode is such a... I, I wonder... Because Peter Krause was nominated for a few Emmys mm-hmm. during the course of this show. And I, I tend to think that they might have submitted this episode for consideration. Because mm-hmm. it really... We'll get into the whole thing eventually. But like his... his um, emotional range and his like that was such a subtle moment mm-hmm. but it was such it was so beautifully done yeah uh and and maybe kathy bates being a, an actor herself uh could could direct that and get that real naturalistic right, right. moment of him catching himself that was the big thing from from that uh scene that that i appreciated but before at, at breakfast yeah I, be, I believe uh when David's telling him about Joshua, he he says, "Perfect health, brain fried." And, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. And that that that's that's Nate. You know, that's no no red meat, no smoking, three miles a day running. <laughs> uh, but his he's got that brain issue. Yeah, and that's I mean that's just how it happens, right? I mean, you see that the character Josh. I mean, Jesus, just like Nate. I mean, they couldn't be any more in shape. You know, I imagine their body fat is <laughs> very low percentage, right? And yeah, it's just this this brain is just, you know, it doesn't even matter what shape you're in. Yeah, and and the, the one of the this is subtle and I don't know if it's intentional, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but in the death capsule, you had these two it, it features these two shirtless athletes, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the cut right after the the death title card mm-hmm. is Nate walking to the coffee maker shirtless. Like it very, you know, it's like they bleed right into each other oh, and then okay. he and then he puts his shirt on um right away all right and it, it's just another little connection i think just like one of these very cinematic type yeah connection yeah, yeah. with you know w- which a lot of that detail doesn't usually carry over in a tv mm-hmm. at this point in time mm-hmm. uh another subtle thing that i noticed this time watching this is probably my fifth or sixth time watching this episode mm-hmm. when joshua appears to nate He's wearing a jersey that says 22. Okay. And he was 21 when he died. So he's wearing the number of what he, the age he should have been. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even pick yeah. up on that. That's funny. It's, it's that kind of stuff that just like yeah, makes yeah. the show endlessly. Uh, <laughs> Rewatchable. It's a, it, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a mind that you can c- continue to go back to. Yeah. Uh, Nate is bringing Josh in uh, for preparation and Nate inside his head. You know, obviously, as we see here, he's Josh is crying. Uh, as a funeral director, on this point, I just wanted to say, like, when people think that the dead people talk to us or that they're still alive, I imagine that this is sort of exactly how it is that people think, right? Where just, mm-hmm. like, we have them on the stretcher and, you know, they're kind of ruffling through the bag and they're like, hell, well, I, he doesn't speak yet, but just breathing through it, whatever. Uh, I just thought that was a perfect 
sort of bringing the uh, what people think and then into like you know what Nate what is in Nate's head. David and Nate are looking at the new casket wall panel for the funeral home, and <laughs> I have to say we're we're at the fifteenth episode of the series, right? And for a rather somber and inner mental troubled person that David is, and you know what, I'll even add Michael C. Hall to this, I've never seen him this happy about anything ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. The, the, the jewelings on his face and how happy he is, uh, I've never seen that from Michael C. Hall in, in obviously his other big work, Dexter, uh, whatever his other movies and stage plays. I've just never seen, I don't think a character on this show has been that happy as when he is looking at that casket wall. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it really is. I mean, he just, he, he had to outdo himself, you know. Um, I really love that. A funeral, uh, when I was talking with people about this casket wall panel, because they mentioned how it goes from 21.5 to 20,000, I was like, wow, that seems sort of expensive. And then I wonder too, like, uh, the funeral home that does this amount of work, would they, wouldn't they have that installed already? Um, you know, doing my research, talking to other funeral directors, this was rather new in 2001. Uh, the earliest I can confirm that this was installed, and any other funeral directors out there or people in the business know better, definitely let me know. Uh, the earliest I could confirm that this was installed is 1998. So being, you know, within a few years, this is rather, you know, new and relatable. Uh, but, you know, anything, just sort of how they talk about the caskets here, uh, a customer wants to touch the product, you know, not look at it like a catalog. And mm-hmm. he had said something that, that the cas- the male caskets are at eye length. I, it didn't make too much I, I don't know. To me, personally, as someone who's been involved, I've never really heard of that. There is a science in the showroom. Yeah, it's the first. It's The show moves away from the funeral industry a little bit as sort of the show goes on. But I like that they introduced this wall panel. And obviously, we'll find out at the end of the episode uh, who's actually fronting the bill <laughs> oh, yeah. on the casket wall. Josh shows up again at Brenda's and, you know, with Nate ignoring this AVM and Josh, Psyche pops up randomly to remind him. Uh, this is where I was talking about that knocking. Because uh, if you remember, this is when they're knocking on, they're building the, uh, let me go back. Brenda's uh, thinning the chicken, right? And she's doing that knocking. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Josh shows up and it bleeds right into them building the casket wall. I thought it was sort of like a callback to that the season finale of the knock knock you think i'm wrong oh, yeah. there or yo you think definitely no i think that's an excellent observation um when someone's knocking at your door there's only so long you can ignore it and that's that the avm is is knocking on them right right well no it's it's saying look at me mm-hmm, i want mm-hmm. you to see me you know get yeah get it rico's asking for money colin i don't know i've never worked anywhere long enough i mean i worked at a place long enough where i could go back today and my job would still be there, right? But, I mean, asking for eleven grand, I don't Look, know. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> here, here's here's what I I, I have a I, I took notes while I was watching this. Uh-huh. The only thing I wrote down in regard to Federico, I wrote <laughs> Federico sucks, and and I'm so happy that Nate kind of exploded on him and he said, "We're not a fucking savings and loan." Right, <laughs> right, know? right. But you know they're they're looking for a house and they find one uh, that, that they're into mm-hmm. and they they scrounge up a little bit for the down payment but just mm-hmm. they're eleven grand short so he goes to Nate and David and uh, they tell him that they'll think about it mm-hmm. of course the casket wall kind of gets in the way mm-hmm. but Federico 
You know, he. I don't think he's he's a fair guy. You know, like putting your employers in that position. Well, yeah. I mean, is that is that or was that commonplace for that to happen? And then we're just in a different world today. I don't know, man. I mean, I could never imagine. I don't know. I I guess it's just a relationship I've never been in in a workplace. I could ask for me a smaller loan. Eleven. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I don't know uh, where you are in terms of money, right? But to me, ele- asking eleven grand of your employer or anyone—that's a rather large sum to be asking for. <laughs> that's <laughs> no? huge. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we—I think we learn later in the series that um, Nathaniel Senior paid for Federico's mortuary. Mortu- school. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, but it, it, the thing is, is so they have that established relationship. So he's comfortable enough asking, but what pisses me off is the way he talks to Nate when Nate tells him it's not going to work out. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, "I'm going to go, I'll go tell my kids who have to go play next to a dumpster." Like, <laughs> go, go, get out of here, Federico. Like, and, like it's Nate's fault that he doesn't have the money. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's it's absurd, and um, and I, I think all that, I think we're supposed to feel that way about yeah, Federico yeah. Be, because when. Let's just close out their storyline right now. Yeah, it's you might as well. Interesting, mm-hmm. but she she comes to t- she comes to the funeral home to tell him that they got the house and that her sister fronted the bill the bill, mm-hmm. and he freaks out and she says, "I can't deal with your machismo bullshit." Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, "Yes, that's my girl," <laughs> because he can he can be such a baby when he asks for money from his employers, but when mm-hmm. family offers it to him. Yeah, he flips he's, out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and it, it's just, he's just, I mean, I, I guess <laughs> he's exactly the way he's written. And uh, right, I, right. I think we're supposed to feel that way, but man, he he was always the hill for me to get over in this show. You know what's funny about that is going, and I try to, trying to get reviews from, because I, I, you know, I try to, we're looking at this from our 2017 angle, right? And I try to try to grasp like the 2002 vibe of it so i read these reviews on these hilarious websites because at the time they must have been advanced but it's you know just a a a microsoft word document on on a web (laughs) page and the largest rico was such an unlikable character at this point because my when i go back in hindsight of the series i didn't mind rico and whatever, I don't want to spoil it, but whatever he gets into with his wife later on. I never really minded Rico this much, but doing this podcast under this lens, because now I'm watching it and analyze it, now I have to talk about it. Yeah, I, Rico so far is pretty much unlikable, um, even despite, you know, going to work to Kroner and, and all that, you know. Um, but let me ask you a, a fictional scenario here. Let's say the Fishers had the casket wall panel already, or that wasn't in their... That wasn't in their daily plan when Rico comes up to this. Do you think there's any point where, I'm sure Nate would say yes. Do you think there's any point where David gives them the gives uh, Rico the loan? I could see I could see David uh, giving a little bit, not the full amount. Okay. Be- because he he has a line later that if they go under, then Rico's out of a job, and then they he, he can can't pay him back, him. and then they're yeah. they're all screwed. And mm-hmm. I think that that would keep him from giving him the full amount. Right. I don't I don't really know how much they have at this point cuz yeah. I think they had they started off with like about 90 from Ruth, yeah. 
But was it last season when the the blood came up and they had to fix the drainage? Nope, that's later. That's this spoiler. Ends. Sorry, spoiler alert. Just uh, erase. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 uh, I I think I think David is just too pragmatic to give the full eleven. Uh, I know I, for sure Nate would, but yeah. And to David's point, I'm not a boss or anything. I've never owned a business to be at that position, but I don't think it's prudent to give your employer that much money to your employee rather that much money. Right. I mean, just, it probably doesn't make business sense. I don't know. Now it feels like you just have a stranglehold on them. You know, I wouldn't want that relationship. I guess is what I'm, what I'm getting at. No, I wouldn't either. And, and, um, they would just be paying themselves back because that's where he gets his income from. Mm -hmm. I think we've gone far too long on this storyline, which you said, (laughs) let's just wrap it up. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, we go on to uh, Nate. He closes the casket lid on Josh, and this is him just keeps trying to avoid that, uh, let's call the knocking, right, from Josh. And here again, he's as a psyche, you know, uh, I'm scared. It, this is when he does talk, right? Because Josh is like, I'm scared. What happens to me now? Uh, I love, and he's yelling at him, right, Nate, where he's like, everybody oh dies. God. You know, what makes you so fucking special? Out of all the times on Six Feet Under where they show the real-time cam where, you know, they show Nate is not actually, he's talking to thin air. It's all in his head, right? To me, this was one of the most important ones of the show thus far because it was just really, he's an empty embalming room. This is the scene for me. Okay. This is the one. Okay. When you asked me what episode I want to do, I thought of this episode because of this scene because okay. I, I get chills every time <laughs> this scene happens. Mm-hmm. And... uh I just love what it represents, and and you know it's it's so obvious, obviously, but it's just still so powerful that this this kid just represents Nate and his, you know this that's that's Nate saying like, why me, I'm I'm so young, and and then the the other side of Nate that knows he has shit to deal with just says, everybody dies. You're not special. You're going yeah. to die. Yeah, like this is real, and. Uh, but for some reason, that's still not enough for him to to confront this yet, and mm-hmm. uh, it comes a little later. But it's just it's just so powerful, and it, it you know it's just one of the best ways that they utilize the talking to the dead as a repre- as a manifestation of their internal uh, conflict. I just think this one it's I mean it might be a little on the nose, but the the performance from Peter Krause just like sends me into chills every time. I'll tell you. The and maybe because it was a lot more gruesome and uh, I don't I don't I don't know if this is fair to say to me it was heavier but we're talking about life and death literally I liked the Marcus Foster and Nate uh, David that that the way they sort of played with that but that was to me was heavy uh, see it's weird as it comes out of my mouth it was heavier it was more I don't know it, it tugged at my heart more right whereas. This one, I liked it because just the way it brought it out of Nate. Yeah, uh, a lot of it has to do with my own. Yeah, yeah, that's own, fair. The, that's the context fair. of me watching this because I watched it when I was 21 and mm-hmm. I had just had a friend who was my age mm-hmm. die of leukemia. And this show, I watched it, you know, about six months after the funeral. Mm-hmm. And so this show kind of became the way I processed his death. And that was like the first real death of a friend that i had yes yeah. you know still young mm-hmm. and i think that when i saw that and when i saw this episode my friend was a football player you know and like, jesus <laughs> it was just yeah it was it was just really powerful and it really moved me and i think 
this is the moment. I, I was obviously a fan of the show because I, ca- I got to this point. Yeah. But this was the episode where I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> the, this, this show's for real, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that there's 63 episodes, there's 63 deaths, and uh, I think everybody's entry point for that moment is going to be a different one or it's going to be one of those 63, and mm-hmm. this one just w- did it for me. Uh, I'm going to jump on you just for a moment. You had said 63 episodes. There is an episode where a few deaths happen in the beginning, if you remember. No? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I have, you know, it's funny. I, I, think... I, I, I have, and I have to, um, I'm going to do it once we get closer towards the end. Someone had broke down how each of the people die, and it's like a, like a, ch- a pie chart of sorts. Of I think, I think most was heart attack or something like that, but... Yeah, so I, I guess it's 63. Mm-hmm. Oh, too much spoilers. Uh, Robbie apologizes to Ruth for messing up the natural order of the flower shop and invites her to attend his graduation from the plan. Uh, I, I, I'm not... Sometimes I, I'm, I'm, I'm really... I, I'm in tune, right? I know what's going on. I had no idea. What was the plan mimicking? Is this just like one of these self-help cults? Is this like a Joel Osteen sort of? But that's more religious, right? Like, what was yeah. this mimicking, this, the, the plan? Because I know it, it, it comes up in a few more episodes. Yeah, you know, out in L.A., there's a bunch of stuff like this. Okay. Like, and, and, and That's so they, L.A., right? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, everyone comes out here. They want to, like, chase their dreams or reinvent themselves. Right. Um, and a lot of dark stuff happens in the psyche when you try and chase your dream and it doesn't work out. So there's a lot of broken people. Mm-hmm. And part of the th- that aspect is that there's also a lot of people who can capitalize on that. Yeah. And right. uh, I, I know people here that I've met who are in programs like this. Um, they're not called The Plan, but they might as well be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like $500 a session and you show up and they... they quote unquote help you and I mean I I, I, I won't deny because I can't, I'm not them and if they're actually getting help from this it's amazing yeah who's to um, say right what's right but wrong? but it's it's definitely you know and this at this time this was 2002 I believe um, mm-hmm. that self-help boom was just coming is and it? it's coming hard and and so was um I mean it could even be like a, a close tie. I mean, the Scientology that's out here as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not uncommon. My girlfriend was actually driving in Culver City, and she saw this little storefront that was one of these things. And it was just one guy selling a book that he wrote. And he had a storefront in Culver City. Like, you got to be making some good money to, <laughs> to have a storefront anywhere in L.A. County. Right, right. <laughs> so there's definitely an audience for this. So he invites her to his graduation, mm-hmm. and she she it piques her interest. What 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 ends up happening is Ru- Ruth kind of takes mental notes at this at the the plan, and she gets back and she takes charge with her two sons, and she says, <laughs> "I'm an investor in in this business, and I want to know what's going on." And Nate and David kind of react to her, and she says, "I am speaking fiercely from the eye. From the eye. <laughs> Do you mind?" <laughs> which is amazing because that is so Ruth. Like she adds that little bit of politeness at the end because yeah, she yeah. she can't speak fiercely from the eye without being Ruth. <laughs> I thought I, when she did that, I thought that was like a little kid who had just learned a new word at school. You know, sort of <laughs> I heard the teacher say, "You're despicable," and he, you know, a little kid goes home and tells his parents or whatever. Whatever, you're despicable. 
Oh, that's a that's that's amazing. Yeah, just like that's funny too. You said like because in the end she's always polite and that's why she's so adorable. That's why she's Ruth, right? It's like I'm speaking fiercely from the eye. Um, yeah, that was great. I and I kind of liked how Robbie, you know, sort of it could have been left like a thread hanging that Robbie could have just been this. I don't want to call him sassy. I don't want to. He, he had said right when he's doing his uh, his graduation where he was just you know been a dick the past few years, whatever. Um, Whatever. He was rather short with Ruth when that first, when they first, uh, Ruth came to him to ask him about his son coming out. Mm-hmm. But I like that, you know, now it shows where he is and whatever. I, I think uh, Al- that's that's another thing I like about this show so much is even the one dimensional characters eventually get fleshed out more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and there's they, the, this writing staff gives all these characters such humanity. And even just the characters who are in one episode come to you three-dimensional and and they they know when they did a bad job because they'll come back and they'll be like you know what we we kind of underwrote that robbie guy he was just kind of a sassy gay guy so yeah. we're gonna we're, we're gonna give him more yeah. give him a little more and and it, it, it's wonderful and i'm sure there's somebody out there who robbie's like their favorite character <laughs> yeah. you know there's gotta be i mean that episode that was one of my favorite parts where he's just like, I don't want to hear about your life, Ruth. I don't want to hear about your life. And she's like, you know, I had an affair at 60 years old. And he's like, well, tell me more. <laughs> just that <laughs> moment is great, you know. Uh, yeah. But you know what? To that point where you're saying that, like that callback, I love. And it took a moment for my mind to process it. Again, when I talk about this, this is a rewatch after rewatch after rewatch but now I'm sitting down and now I have to pay attention to everything I can't just it can't be background noise or whatever it took my mind a minute to process when Keith and David are playing racquetball cause it's like oh shit that whole first season he's introducing him as his racquetball partner mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know here they are actually playing racquetball and to not pretend like we're a dumb audience they actually call it out themselves you know Keith's oh, like yeah. Keith's like hey we've it's funny. This is the first time we're playing racquetball, and you've always referred to me as your racquetball player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and poor poor David is he's so lonely, and uh, Keith is just like, well, I'm gonna go run some errands. He's like, I can come. <laughs> yeah, I can come yeah. with you. I got well, nothing to do. And what I like is like you know, David's obviously chasing Keith, right? And because he's so lonely, but now Keith is like letting him, right? Because the episode prior, yeah. he was sort of listen, stay over there. You're always gonna be there. And now Keith, he, he even laughs at him, sort of, right? Like a little chuckle, like, huh, yeah, why not? Come along. But, you know, he's sort of opening that, just giving him a little bit of hope, right? Uh, but what he's inviting him to is his niece's Taylor ninth birthday party. They get to Taylor's, and Taylor doesn't even give David a proper hello, right? Um, total gut reaction and vaguely remembering what happens. My heart dropped in sadness when I saw that Entenmann's cake. Because mm. it was just like, God. Everything else was sort of messy and everything, right? But when they show that Entenmann's cake, and I'm not a big birthday person, but the girl is nine years old, right? Like, that's a, what a crappy way to celebrate your ninth birthday. Oh, there's just nothing sadder than prepackaged baked goods. <laughs> Especially yeah. for like a nine-year-old. A nine-year-old's birthday. Right. I mean, I would love that today at 30 years old, right? But at ninth, if, if I remembered that as my ninth birthday, and right, God bless my parents for letting me have a childhood where I didn't have anything like that. Um, 
Yeah, that's just, it's so funny. It's a usual a tasty treat, right? Like an Entenmann's cake is so sad in this context. But this is the start of Keith's anger issues, right? This is where it finally, I mean, th- there were moments where it kind of exploded. But now we're sort of providing some backstory to that of it with Carla. Uh, her name is Carla, Taylor's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see her. She's passed out. I'm going to presume she's still on whatever she's on, right? Yeah, she claims she's been sober for seven months, I believe. Yeah, but. I don't. Um, and Keith can't handle it, you know, and she's, they get into their scuffle and whatever. And she sort of, thank God, right? She she makes Keith back off by saying she would press charges. I liked when David and Taylor, they're just sitting in the living room talking about their gift. The child acting by this this girl who plays Taylor, I thought it was amazing. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, I mean, just the, the dialogue, right? I imagine that's, uh, I don't like to say this, that's easier for child actors. But the way she emotes at the end when Keith is leaving and she's just so sad. It made me so oh, sad. Yeah, har- it made, yeah, heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Right. When, when, you know, she's like, I'll come by tomorrow and we'll go to a movie. And she, you know, because that, that's her, like, this kid is excellent because you see it on her face. She realizes that her mom ruined her birthday. Like, yeah. Uncle Keith isn't staying. He's going to come back and pick me up to take me somewhere else because mom did it again. You right, know, and she, right. it, you could, it, it all emotes from that face. I just thought that, I, and I know, I know she's somewhat of an actress today, but that when that scene ended, I was like, wow, I feel so sad. And wow, is that, that actress a great child for however old she is. Brenda and Nate, right? Uh, she's is he in town? Why is this Trevor character coming back? Is this just they had seen each other and she invited them over for dinner? I don't recall. No. So whatever the but circumstances, <laughs> yes, she is. Whatever the circumstances are, uh, Brenda is having her high school lover or her first boyfriend Trevor over and inviting his wife and her kid. Uh, when uh, Nate's asking, you know, what should I wear, what, whatever, Brenda's telling Nate, be everything that you're not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just dress differently, act differently. Even right before they come in, right, Brenda's like, tell me I look beautiful. And Nate just goes, you are yeah. beautiful, Brenda. And Brenda just like so undercuts him where it's just like, wow, you actually mean that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just such a Brenda thing to say, right? Trevor and Dawn show up. And I don't know, I don't know how big of a geek you are about this stuff, uh, Colin. Did you notice who Dawn was, the wife? Uh, no. It's April O'Neil from the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> so it was. <laughs> it's such a geek I'm on because I was like, oh, I know who she is or whatever, right? But that was uh, Judith Hogue. Uh, up to this point, right, there's... What what did you, what would you think was the science or the, the thought process behind of doing this dinner for Brenda? Was it really well, just because she's like out of her depression or solving her depression of sorts? I, I think uh, in, in in universe the answer would be she's stuck and she doesn't know um, how to how to push forward. And I think when when you start to question like where you're at in life, you look back a lot you know yeah and uh you remember old relationships and and the th- things you've done in the past and you feel nostalgic and uh i think that's the motivator she doesn't know she says at the end of the episode i don't know who i am yeah yeah and i think she thinks she could figure that out if she finds somebody who used to be the closest to her that anyone's ever been um 
and we'll see later and I won't spoil but I think this is the the turning point that kind of unlocks Brenda's behavior for the rest of the season. Yeah, right, because she's sort of lost and she doesn't know who she is. And then, yeah. I, I think she sees her ex with the, she says they have something that I don't have, you know, yeah, um, yeah. that maybe I was born with or maybe it was beaten out of me. And uh, hmm. I think her realization of that kind of is responsible for, part, partially responsible for what what ensues the rest of the season. Right. And, you know, this Trevor character with Nate, I think Nate is too preoccupied in his head, right, to be bothered with anything really regarding Trevor and Brenda, right? Because, you know, beginning of the episode, he's like, oh, I'll man out and, you know, I'll beat him up, whatever, mm-hmm. right? He's joking, but he's really too preoccupied with anything. But it, it took me like a few rewatchings to notice that he's really one-upping Nate at every angle, every aspect. You know, because they're talking about the climbing, right? And no matter what Nate brings up, Trevor kind of one-ups him. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he mentions the kid, his kid, rather, Trevor's kid. You know, just one-upping him again. And then there was just that, like, that, man, that backhanded comment, uh, you know, where Trevor says, you know, uh, Brenda's so smart. Everyone expected great things from Brenda. And it's like, what? Because she's so... It, did she fail? It, she failed where she is at right now in life just because... Just sort of, you know, juxtapose him with Trevor. Um, mm-hmm. I, I took a, I like kind of jerked back in my seat when he had said everyone expected great things from Brenda. And it's like, well, <laughs> I don't even know how you answer that, right? If someone would say that about your significant other. I think they're playing with this idea that if you if you get to your 30s and you're not married with kids, that somehow mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. failed. Right. And right. Uh, they comment later about how boring they are, you know. And I think maybe that's the perspective that. Uh, Ted was it Ted Trevor Trevor sorry I see I just thought it was a boring name um <laughs> that Trevor has of like well you know she's she's not married she doesn't have a kid like I do you know she's mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. doing her little massage thing mm-hmm. I was gonna say Brenda has seemed to make the nicest meal for this dinner than she had ever made for Nate because there's the caviar there's the whole spread and everything and there's She's really going all out to to impress this Trevor, right? I don't know if I. Did oh, well, I was curious. Uh, you as a funeral director, Trevor kind of says like the way he phrases it seems so offensive to me. Where it's like, what makes somebody want to be a funeral director? <laughs> and then he says, "I was born into it, like the mafia." But right. what? What? How do you? Has that kind of interaction happened with you? Like, do you, do you find yourself answering those kinds of questions? Well, yeah, there's two things about that that I wanted to get into. One is Nate has sort of like a prepackaged joke because he's like, you know, I was born into it like the mafia. Everyone's laughing and they show to, they sort of show the camera to Brenda and Brenda's just rolling her eyes. One, because she wants to be the one to be getting the laughs, right? Not Nate. But also, presumably they've been in this relationship for, let's just call it, right? more or less a year uh she's heard that joke a thousand times and it's just sort of like my my girlfriend when she'll be like how's work i'm sick of it but i'm 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 cheesetastic in that i love saying it she'll ask me how's work and i always say dead it's funny to <laughs> yeah, right right it always gets a laugh but my girlfriend is sick and tired of the joke but she it's to the point where she doesn't even ask me how's work anymore because she know how i'm gonna answer it uh I do, I do oftenly get asked uh, about this, and there's a whole long, drawn-out story. I shorten it. It's just that my mother died when I was young. Uh, 
I became interested in the funeral aspect just because like I didn't know what else to focus on during the funeral. I was 15. And I was just sort of, you know, curious about everything. Graduated high school, didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, let's go into this. Um, a lot of people are family into it or they just have whatever, right? But that's just sort of my short end, you know, mother died when I was young, became interested. And 10 years later, here I am. J- just the way that prepackaged joke, I was like, yeah, I know exactly. I know exactly what Nate is doing. I know exactly what Brenda is doing. You know, just the way they um, tie together. I had two funny six feet underlines, and we sort of talked about one already. Uh, and that was when Ruth is, you know, I'm speaking fiercely from the eye. Uh, I also like the other line when, again, David, and I have to go as far as Michael C. Hall because he's a rather uh, quiet person if you've seen him in interviews, whatever, but he's they're looking at the, the installed wall panel and he's just like, God, I can't wait till our next funeral. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so excited about all of this. Um, and I guess we could get into it now just to touch, touch briefly upon the Kroner storyline. At the beginning of the episode, um, Mitzi comes in. I don't remember if this sticks or if this is uh, just the way she fires Gilardi and he's kind of off of it. And, you know, she comes to the funeral home and she's sort of this salacious isn't the word, but she's like this flirtatious, you know, southerner. And she's coming again to see if she could take over uh, the Fisher funeral home. You know, they kind of, you know, boss her out of the funeral home. Although I did get the, you know, when they're there in the funeral home and Nate's just sort of giving his spiel that he hates everything Croner stands for. Did you get the vibe at all that David still kind of wants to sell? Just the way he's sort of like, I can't back down here in front of her. But I think that comes back to just pragmatic David. Like, right, right. He, he's right. someone who probably stays up at night and thinks about the next five to ten years every night and how and every possible way it could go. <laughs> and I think part of him wonders, like, well, you know what? Maybe this won't work out, and maybe we can still sell the Corona, and I can go to law school. You know, like I think he thinks of every possible avenue. Right, right, yeah, and. Uh, and then he just, you know, after Nate tells her off, he just goes, you know, he's like, oh, well, that sums up my, my uh, feelings as well. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I When I had first watched the episode, I was like, there's no way they would get this wall installed. David would do all his research. And then they find out the last minute this company was owned by Kroner. But after talking to older people in the funeral business... Uh, these things do happen because all these uh, all these mergers and these companies buying other companies, there's confidentiality. You know, you can't say anything until the time's up. There was, and I don't want to get into names just because I don't want to be vilified as you know promoting one way or another. But there was a casket company out there brought bought by uh, a corporate company, and this sort of thing sort of happened. Not in this way where they you know. <laughs> like a thief in the night, they install casket walls, and now you're selling their products. But you know, at first I called bullshit. I was like, "There's no way David would get this installed." But yeah, this sort of things do happen, and there's stories of a funeral home going to go with one casket company for this same wall panel, and then another company. How they had no idea. A funeral home was telling me that they had no idea, but another casket company came and like basically showed up with a jet plane to say, before you go with the other company, let us show you something. So I was just like, yeah, these sort of things do happen. 
to get back to well to start actually right with claire's storyline oh yeah gabe reveals that there's a tape out there of him robbing the liquor store uh his friend i forget his name but he's uh he's tweaking out is that is that how you say it uh but he's uh i don't know what the drug is yeah andy uh i don't know what it's called is it is that angel dust when the fry (laughs) is a fry okay You've, you, you, they call it fry. It's, uh, it's when they. Uh, I did my drug research this time. Ah, see now you're on it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fry. It's when they they dip a joint of pot in embalming fluid, which I'm like has to be lethal. I don't know if that's real or not. Have you heard of anything like this? I mean, we've heard about it in school. I've never heard of a real life application of it. Uh, all embalming fluid really is is uh, is uh, formaldehyde gas. I don't know how it doesn't instantly kill you. To be honest just formaldehyde gas is so potent and everything um but he's tweaking right and that's just how we find out that well claire finds out that gabe had stole a bottle of embalming fluid prior episode that final scene between the two of them you know watching it through claire's eyes you know when he starts revealing everything of his past i kind of was with claire and i was like you know who who the fuck are you gabriel demas you know uh claire didn't see any of this side of you i liked you know, th- these are things like you had mentioned I picked up on uh, different watchings that Keith and Claire kind of have the same uh, story arc of sorts where it's just like they're, tell- they're they're sort of fighting in the name of family. You know, Keith is telling off uh, Carla, Taylor's mom, and Claire is basically telling Gabe off because, you know, what it could, you know, obviously on the personal level, but what it could do to her family, her funeral home. If they got this embalming fluid, well, it's it's kind of you, you kind of see Claire starting to invest in in the company. Like it's, you know, her her journey last season. She was she's still in high school, but she was a little a little less mature, a little more, you know, uh, erratic and uh-huh. and like she she wasn't she wasn't really all in. But you kind of see her like she she cares about the funeral home now and. I think her best scene in this episode is when she does her little bit with the casket wall and she's like, welcome to Cascateria. <laughs> Cascateria. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, she's starting to have fun with her brothers and uh, mm-hmm. th- this will come back at the end. Cause there's something I observed in the closing shot uh, regarding Claire. But yeah, I think this was a necessary step because she, her, her kind of story arc with, with Gabe, I think, it kind of feels exhausted at this point. I, I think we're kind of nearing the end of his his. Uh... Yeah, there's yeah, there's not much, there's not much emotional growth with you know with with two high school kids at this right. And yeah, yeah, there's only so much more back and forth, and how much more wrong he could do on a criminal level, right? Not even let's 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 leave alone emotional level. How much more he could do, and to close out our episode, Josh shows up uh, for the last time. And, you know, Nate screams at him, you know, you're really starting to piss me off. What, in this last scene, what is it that makes Nate finally see Josh and finally confront this? So, here, so this is all of it, right? Mm -hmm. So before this scene, Nathan, Nathan, (laughs) Nate and and Brenda are, they cleaned up from the dinner. Uh Uh-huh. And he has his little fantasy where he tells Brenda about AVM and that he thinks he's dying and that he's so scared. Right. And you realize it's a fantasy because she snaps at him and that's the knock knock again. Uh huh. 
And what ends up happening is he ignores it again. And but this time his self-conscious and represented by Josh comes to him and says, "Look at me. Uh, you need to see me. I need you to see me." And that's 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 Nathan's uh, self-conscious. That's his his realization of his death saying you need to bring me into your consciousness out of your subconsciousness and into your consciousness Mm -hmm. and so he looks at him and then they just stare at each other and then the scene kind of goes away and then what ends up happening is um you get to uh nathan why do i keep calling him nathan (laughs) nate comes in after a run and david's in his suit and they're so they're both in what they're most comfortable in, right? right? Nate's a runner, right? And David is a funeral director. Those are that's what they are. And so Nathan comes in, David's in a suit, and he says, "I need to talk to you." And and David continues to be David, and he says, "What did you do now?" Right. And this is when they they go sit down at the window, and you you don't really hear what they say, but you get the sense that he repeats what he dreamed of saying to Brenda what he couldn't say to Brenda but he could say to his brother and you hear him say I'm so scared you know and he starts crying and and David kind of comes in and holds him but what I love about this scene one of the things I love about this scene is they're sitting in the window of the funeral home that they grew up in and there's three window panes and David's in one to the right and Nathan's in the middle and Nathan, ha- Nathan, God damn it! Nate has his it. back. <laughs> Nate has his back to the empty window, mm-hmm. and I think, and then we start to come away, and mm-hmm. the camera pans backward, and that last slot is for Claire. Wow! Because she's she's not in yet. You know, right, his back right. is to that window, but it's it's empty and it's standing there alone. And eventually, Claire comes in, and he later in the season, they. Let's just say they connect, they bond, Nate, mm-hmm. Nate and Claire. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that it leaves that window empty. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, and I could just be reading into it, but I, I think that this was the first time I noticed it. And uh, I was thinking a lot about Claire this episode. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's whether or not that was there intentional or not, it's still prudent to, to your point. Like, maybe they didn't intend that, but... It's there, right, for us to pick up on. Because, see, sort of the way... Well, let, let me let me rewind for a second, because you had said that Nate comes in for a run. And what I actually picked up on is that this is the first time... If you remember, the doctor keeps telling him, don't go for runs, and Nate runs even harder. When he comes in, he's not sweating or anything, because the first thing that David says to him is, oh, I th- is you, did you go for your run that quick? So this is the first time that he had listened to doctor's orders because he didn't go for the run. And now with him realizing it, right? Oh, yeah. see, I didn't even I didn't pick up on that. That's right, right. No, no, it, it's great. The, the great thing about this show, right? We watch the same scene, but we both come away with two totally different things uh, within the same yeah. the same story about parallel, right? Um, but yeah, because he's yeah. not sweating, and it's the first thing he says: "Did you go for your run that quick?" And he's like, you know, "I have something to talk to you about." Because uh, I, I have, I when I do when I record these episodes, I have I play the, the the episode while I'm talking just to pick up on anything, right? And I, it, huh, it, it's on talk. my screen right now. He literally goes upstairs when he sees Josh, and the next scene is he walks downstairs. They don't show him walking downstairs, but um, it's supposed to be 
seen. Well, and and uh, earlier in the episode when he is when he's ignoring all the knocking, all every all the signs telling him uh-huh. to confront this, uh-huh. he goes uh-huh. for a run and he comes to confront Mitzi, and he's just you know drenched Sweating. in sweat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a really nice touch. And see, you had said, it, and I'm looking at it right now, right? There's the empty uh, the empty window pane. See, I, I to me. I didn't pick up on when you picked up on, but to me, as the, the the camera is panning out, it's just a huge empty room. But David and Nate are so close together, right? They have all this space in the world, and sort of shows the new casket wall, whatever. And kind of none of that means anything because of right of what's happening to Nate. Uh, when I had, like you said, Nate's Nate, and he's in his clothes. David's a funeral director. And kind of because he just didn't, I don't know, it's not that you don't have nowhere else to go and maybe it's just David showing his compassion, but to me, I saw it and I was like, wow, David goes straight into funeral director mode because he kind of, but you would do that regardless, right? I mean, you would do this, Colin, to yourself, to one of your friends if there's someone's breaking you like this, you just kind of put your hand on them, just like, hey man, like I'm here, I'm here, everything's cool. But I just love, like you said, they're, they're both who they are and it shows here. I just love how Nate, uh, David goes into like funeral director form, and and that's that's a really great observation because sometimes I I, I could see how someone might look at David kind of cynically because if, if you can turn turn on that compassion for your work, mm-hmm. which you know is your income, mm-hmm. but but then you see that this is just who he is. Like he has a lot of compassion for people, and as much as like I love to talk about how pragmatic he is and how he can be like so exacting and sometimes that dehumanizes him a bit. Yeah. He does. He has a big heart and like we're reminded of that because the, their, their journey as brothers is, is one of my favorite things about this show is, is watching them go from being kind, not strangers, but when Nate comes home in the pilot, they're not exactly best buds. Yeah. 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 But then you, you watch them over the years and how, how they have each other's back and it's just, it's beautiful. Nate, Nate, Nate starts crying, and David's there to to console him. And so, to your point, and refresh my memory. There's never a point where David tells Nate he's gay. It's always implied, right? They never had that moment. From my memory, I think Nate just puts it together, and David knows that he puts he just it together. Knew. Yeah, right. And they're, they're, and David is okay with Nate knowing because he, he sort of teases him, but in the most brotherly, loving way possible, right? There's never like in season one he like finds the porn and then yeah. he sees uh, he sees Keith and him at yeah. brunch together and uh, because it's like you were saying their relationship and how it's just beautiful and it's it's one of those br- I mean for me right just I don't know what else to call it but like that bro moment because it's like. Nate couldn't talk to anyone else except for his brother. And that's so goddamn beautiful. It's the only person he could talk to about this. And it's the same way for the moment of the important people in David's life. Uh, Nate's the only one who knew. And Nate was Nate was so okay with it. He was telling him, because if you remember, they have that square dance group in the funeral home. Nate's even like, yo, go get laid. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. that's just beautiful, you know, where David is so troubled he can't come out with it, and his brother is so okay with it. And then you flip that around. Nate has this just impending thing over his head, and he can't talk to anyone else, or he doesn't feel comfortable talking to anyone else about it, except coming telling his brother. Yeah, and that's just beautiful, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I have two brothers, and 
and a sister. So I think the sibling aspect of the show, you know, kind of getting comfortable with your siblings as you become adults and figuring out. And that's what happens with Claire. She's in high school and then she transitions into college and she figures out how to talk to her brothers and how to be friends with them. Uh, it's done so well and, and they take their time. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't all... It doesn't just open the show and everyone's just best friends. We're a yeah, family, yeah. and uh, it's just it's just so so real. And you, even as the series starts out, the three of them are pretty far apart. Because to your point, when Nate comes back from Seattle, it's not like they're like, "Hey, what's up, man?" It's more like, you know, the fuck this is, you know, you're staying or you're not, whatever. And Claire's just on yeah. a, a whole different level with the two of them. She's not even in the same picture, right? Yeah. And yeah, just sort of it goes on. The three of them become closer. Anything else in this episode we have missed, Colin? No, I'm just, I'm so thrilled I got to talk to this episode about, <laughs> with somebody. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm, I'm, I'm when the, it didn't work out with the, 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 the casket guy I had, I'm, I'm really glad I was able to give this to you, because, um, yeah, like I was just saying in the beginning of the episode, I felt it, I was like, ah, oh, damn, I feel like I let you down big time. Um, <laughs> no, it, it all worked out, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great example, I think, of of what six feet under does the best. Um, and, uh, in, in the person to person relationships and in the abstract, uh, it's just one of my favorites for sure. This and the episode with David coming out, Marcus Foster, these are the best two uses so far in this show of that, that manifestation of their own psyche, whatever you want to call it. Right. It's, 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 mm-hmm. These are the two best so far. Um, you know, it's funny, man, when I had watched this, my first watching 10 years ago or so, I don't think I picked up on any of this. I was 20 years old or so. Um, but yeah, this was just, oh man, look at this football player who died and all of this. And it's just funny. It, it, it's something I keep repeating almost every episode is you watch this at different age and it just hits you a different way each time, you know? Absolutely. That's, that's the beauty of art is you got to revisit it and you gotta, you gotta watch it with new eyes and more maturity and different relationships in your life. And it it brings something new every time. And Mm -hmm. that's why I don't get frustrated, but I'm, I'm just not the type of person who sees something once and moves on, you know, even if I don't like something, I'll revisit it down the road because you got to change and, uh, and, and see maybe why, why people respond to it and and maybe you never will but um hell yeah i'm like you i'm like you i'm a habitual rewatcher, and it's to the point now where i kind of have to stop because i have less time more than i've ever had and i'm not grow i'm not growing my uh my collection of watching new things where i still i rewatch whatever i rewatch, and every time no matter what it is right no matter what i bought a dvd of this this uh <laughs> it's this daffy duck quackbusters i watched it when i was little and it's just re-watching it now at a different age it's like god i can't remember how that hit me when i was so little i was so scared of all this shit whatever <laughs> um, but like yeah like uh, i mean this isn't i didn't intend for this to happen this way but i rewatched interstellar and 2001 to listen to your podcast and i had told you so when you when you put the episode out i was like oh great this gives me a reason to rewatch it again 2001 is one of those things the first time I watched it, I didn't even understand what I was watching it. I think I turned it off halfway through it. I was like, I just don't get it. And it's not even appealing to me or anything, whatever. Then I watched it again. It ended and I was like, 
I don't know what I just watched, but I love it. I feel something. I don't know what I feel. And then I watch it again, and it's like, I realize this, right? And with anything, same thing with Interstellar. Um, it, it, that's great that you said that art should be revisited. I, I've never heard that line, or if I heard it, it just kind of flew over my head. Uh, and that's the best way to put all of this stuff. Because, yeah, you just revisit something at a different point in your life. You, you grasp it. You receive it differently each way. Um, Absolutely. Uh, any uh, upcoming episodes on another film podcast? I know you. The, I think the most recent one you had done. I know you, you said you released something tomorrow, but uh, you did the Star Wars. Yep, we did Star Wars and uh, the Hidden Fortress, which is a Akira Kurosawa samurai movie from mm-hmm. the fifties. Mm-hmm. A huge influence on George Lucas and Star Wars, and uh, we we had a special guest on, a friend of mine, Jason Ward, who runs a Star Wars site. Um, and he's he was a fountain of, of Star Wars knowledge, okay. uh, so it's good to have him on. But upcoming, we have a we have a little bonus episode coming up where we don't really talk about we break format and we just kind of chat with each other about how we kind of fell in love with film. And then uh, after that, we'll have uh, we'll be doing Zodiac, uh, two thousand seven David Fincher film about the Zodiac serial killer and all the president's men. Uh, the 1970s masterpiece about the Watergate scandal. I had seen on Twitter that you got to go see Zodiac. They were doing what are these things called? Because they do them that they do them down here in Miami as well. You got to see it in the theater. They do like a, a screening. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, they they, they the Cine family in uh, in in Los Angeles did a, a screening. They did three three nights of Zodiac uh, on a 35 millimeter film print. And it was beautiful. It was uh, it was a good time. So, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to talking about that one. They do that down here in Miami, man. And it's so goddamn cool. Every Saturday night they do a different. I think I saw The Crow about a month ago, and just last oh, nice. night, yeah, it was all in 35 millimeter too. It's just it's so awesome. Uh, last night they get and you know obviously playing to Miami, they did a uh, Scarface. Of course. Um, I didn't get to go down because I would have been too tired to record this today. But I saw that you got to see Zodiac, and I was like, oh, man. That's, and I, I didn't know that was coming up on your next episode, but that's, uh, that's really cool. Yeah, and if, if, uh, if, any, if anyone from listening now listens to my show, contact me on, on Twitter at Another Film Pod and give us your suggestions. We're, we're open. We're, we, we have you know, hundreds of movies that we can't wait to talk about, but we also want to – we don't want to bore people and just talk about what we want to talk about, so – and, and and the different twist with your podcast, because I think it's important to mention, is that you don't just talk about, and forgive me, right, if I'm wrong, where you're not just talking about Zodiac, you, you kind of pair it with another film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so we're going to be talking about All the President's Men with Zodiac, right? Um, which are two movies uh, about obsession and okay. finding the truth. And I, I think... The idea is that we want to we want to take somebody who who's seen Zodiac and loves it, who wants to listen to two dudes talk about it, but who might have never seen all the President's Men, and maybe after listening to us talk about it or seeing that we talk about it, they'll go watch it and uh, and find a find a classic film that they they might have never watched if it weren't for us. Yeah, yeah, and just like your title, you know, it's another film podcast, but there's definitely a twist on it, so. Yeah, give you could give the podcast a follow on Twitter that they're at another film pod, and you're on iTunes at another film podcast. Correct. You can give Colin a follow on Twitter at Colin Llewellyn. You could get the spelling from the website. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today, Colin. Hey, thanks for having me back, and I hope your listeners don't get sick of me because there's there's plenty of episodes coming up that I would love to <laughs> gush about.
definitely definitely uh you can follow me on twitter um at digging podcast uh you can check out the website for this episode and prior episodes and guest spots i've done at diggingpodcast.com you can like us on facebook at digging six feet under and join us next week as we'll be discussing episode three of season two titled the plan with charnel bush of the wayf podcast thanks for listening everyone Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.